0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Dr. Psych Mom Show. Today, we're going to talk about when you can't admit you're anxious. I had another podcast on when you can't admit that you're depressed, and what this is really about is people who cannot really recognize that they are anxious, and uh, whenever they think that they might be, they switch it out in some way in their mind that's more palatable to them, such as I'm very smart, or I love to prepare, or I'm very conscientious, or other people just, you know, don't know how to prepare in the way that I do for school, work, parenting, what have you, you know, and so they're behind you know, and I'm ahead and all sorts of things, and we will get to that just as soon as you subscribe, uh, or at least as soon as I tell you to subscribe. Most recent subscriber episode was The Honeymoon Stage and Why There Is No Bait and Switch, and I recorded that one specifically for all the guys that think that there is some nefarious intent in their wives having a sex drive and then not having a sex drive, and we really get to that in depth. It's well worth the $8.99, even less than an Audible book for most people um I think there's different levels of audible books I don't know because I hate listening to things um the only time I really used to listen to books on tape is when I was driving around South Carolina for my internship um but anyway so for those of you who love podcasts though which seem to be many of you there are 132 extra episodes if you subscribe All right, so anxiety is what we call an egosyntonic disorder. It makes you feel good. You like to be anxious versus depression, which is egodystonic. Nobody likes to be laying around on the couch and feel like death, you know, But people like to um, think that they're really conscientious and and that they're always on top of stuff and that they're ahead of the game. That's the way people who are anxious think about it. So anxiety is something that people um, tend not to want to treat because it feels good in the moment, like mania. Mania feels good. You know, you feel like you're on top of the world, grandiose, everything's great. You're so much better than you ever imagined and better than everybody else. And maybe you should just, you know, sell your house house and move to Vegas, you know, (laughs) like, why not, you know, start a career as like a showgirl, you know, like that's like feels good to be manic, which is why people with bipolar often stop taking their meds. Um, Of course, that's not a good idea. Then you crash. And also when you're manic, you make terribly um, bad decisions that impact other people. But there are things that are egosyntonic and dystonic was my point. And syntonic is this uh, is anxiety, which is what we're talking about today. Like, even perfectionistic, that sounds good. It's got the word perfect in it, for Christ's sake, right? I mean, like, you know, sounds good. I just love to be perfect, you know? And people um, will just really identify. Every time I share anything on anxiety, it gets shared on like social media, it gets shared like a million times. Cause everybody's like, haha, that's me, I'm anxious. But like, you know, nobody's like, haha, that's me, I'm depressed, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, it's just, it comes off different. And so, however, anxiety sucks. It's really bad for your kids in particular, which is going to be a mainstay of of this podcast episode because most of the people I talk to are parents and your anxiety is transmitted to your children. You teach them your way of viewing the world. And the reality is, is anxiety is, is not fun. Particularly when you're a child or a teenager and you're trying to enjoy your life and have experiences and think of the world as an interesting and ad- adventurous place versus some place that you were taught by your parents is filled with danger and risk and germs, you know. So uh people who are anxious children have stomach aches they they don't like to go to school they have unexplained medical ailments and nobody can ever you know see what's wrong with them because there's nothing wrong I mean of course there's something wrong with them they're anxious but you know no blood test will show anything there's not any medical thing going on there's the mind body connection and they have headaches and stomach aches and you know they don't want to go to school school refusal separation anxiety you know, social anxiety. So let me just go through. I thought it would be useful because sometimes this is transformative to people. I'm going to pull up the criteria, the DSM criteria for generalized anxiety disorder, because sometimes that can be transformative. So here you go. These are the criteria. You have excessive anxiety and worry for at least six months. This is for generalized anxiety disorder. Difficulty controlling the worrying. And the anxiety results in significant distress or impairs daily functioning. So like, for example, you would have to get up two hours before your kids wake up in the morning because like you have to get everything exactly right and you like never get enough sleep, but you can't imagine having a different routine, right? And the anxiety isn't due to a physical cause, such as substance use, having 17 cups of coffee or something, you know. The anxiety is also associated with three or more of the following symptoms for at least six months restlessness or feeling on edge. You should be ticking these off on your fingers, guys. Being easily fatigued, difficulty concentrating, muscle tension, sleep issues, irritability. That's a big one, right? And in terms of those uh, physical symptoms, There's also shortness of breath, heart palpitations, uh, stomach aches, unexplained pains, headaches, back aches. That's all like in the physical realm as well. So, so a lot of people will be like, holy shit, like I actually have a lot of those, but like, I'm not an anxious person. I'm just somebody who likes to get up two hours before my kids. And also like, it takes me an hour to wind down at night. Also, I do take a Benadryl to sleep every night, or at least I have a drink. And also my husband has said that I'm like super rigid and difficult, but fuck him because he's no prince himself, you know? So, um, anxiety is more prevalent in women, which is why I address this to women, um, Mostly, but of course, there's plenty of anxious men. Usually, the man is not the one who's making all the parenting decisions, though. And so, from my perspective, and I've disclosed numerous times, including in the Washington Post, that I was uh, raised in a very anxious household. And so, that's something that I worked with. Uh, at first, that was my um, passion to work with was people who are parents who are anxious, so that they don't transmit their anxiety to kids, and that's why I have so much on my website about that, like how to deal with your partner's child-related anxiety, what does it feel like to cure your anxiety? I was an anxious kid. Now I'm a let it go mom, like all of these different things. There's a on drpsychmom.com. There is a category cloud or whatever, and you could just click on anxiety if you want to see all that. Anyway, so the the point being that many people who just think that they are really, you know, love routines are really suffering from a disorder, generalized anxiety disorder. And they were raised that way by their own parents. Um, So it can actually go either way. Most anxious people were raised that way by their own parents, but some people were neglected. So they like their parents were really kind of out of it whether it was drugs or you know alcohol or depression or whatever their parents just were not watching them So they had to take care of themselves and they had to come up with all these little routines and stuff because they had to make their own lunches from like when they were like six years old or something. Not like, you know, like the cute way where like your kid helps you make a lunch, but you're really the one remembering it like they had to remember it because otherwise they didn't eat, etc. So um, those people get anxious, too, and they want to make sure that their child never has the same level of suffering that they did and always knows that somebody's watching out for them. And then that can metastasize into this extremely anxious, constricted world. View where um, they over-parent their child and don't allow the child to engage in developmentally appropriate independent activities because, you know, they don't want the child to ever feel like they are burdened by, by having to do the level of stuff that the parent themselves had to do as a child. But then they go too far. So th- that's some people and that will resonate with some of you. But um, and that I have a post about that is your are your early life experiences stopping you from teaching your child frustration tolerance. So that one will resonate on all my stuff on overparenting and stopped letting your kids treat you like garbage and all of that. But most people that are anxious were just raised in anxious houses. So like if you grew up hearing like you always had to have an extra of everything, then you have an extra of everything. Not even thinking like, why the hell do I need an extra shampoo? What's the worst that could happen? You know, and it's not just one extra shampoo. It's like turns into like five extra shampoos, you know? Why do I need five extra shampoos so that I don't have four? Why do I only have four? Well, if you have four, then that's not enough. Why is it not enough? Well, I guess because my crazy family taught me it wasn't enough, <laughs> you know, or whatever it is. Because you know, you may not know, OCD is an anxiety disorder too. Hoarding is an anxiety disorder. Uh, generalized anxiety obviously is an anxiety disorder. Panic disorder with or without agoraphobia is an anxiety disorder. There are a lot of anxiety disorders. They're all fun. They they all have in common that there's a rigidity around seeing the world and like um, fear it's very very fear based with hoarding for example it's fear of getting rid of stuff that you'll need it in the future it's OCD it's fear that you're going to feel a terrible way if you don't have if, if you don't engage in your compulsion or um, your obsession is inter it's it's interjecting itself in in this way that makes you feel very Very scared, you know, like a common obsession of young mothers is um, about the kids getting sick, right? So it's very fear-based, right? Compulsion, compulsive behaviors are supposed to alleviate fear, but they don't end up doing it. They just end up self-perpetuating. Now, for all of these anxiety disorders, the treatment is exposure therapy. Exposure therapy, and I have a, a post entitled exposure therapy, Sitting With Your Anxiety, you see your anxiety peak and decrease and you're not allowed to engage in your regular um, behavior or your compulsion. So for example, a hoarder would have to throw something out and sit there without taking it back out of the trash or buying another one, right? And then you learn that your anxiety can peak and decrease and it will pass and you won't die or you won't be so upset that you can't function, which is a very common fear. Of, it's a fear of negative emotion, a fear of being upset. Right. So that's um, very classic in in anxious homes. A lot of stuff is done so that nobody is upset. So the idea, my example of the parent who has to get up two hours before their child, um, that is so that the parent does not feel stressed. So the parent is actually stopping themselves from sleeping, which is very important for mental health, stopping themselves from engaging in intimacy with their partner, which is also important for a happy marriage stopping themselves from even, you know, having like, you know, a a fucking relaxing morning. Because remember, for the two hours, it's not like they're just, you know, are engaging in their hobbies. They're like, planning shit out, they're on their phone, they're scheduling, they're getting the lunch, they're doing this, they're doing that, they're taking a shower that has to last exactly a certain amount of time. You know, so what they're trying to do is they're trying to get out ahead of any potential feeling of being overwhelmed, you know, and sometimes two hours turns into three hours, turns into four hours. There's a certain point where it obviously seems crazy, but most people stop themselves before that point so that they can say that they're just, you know, like to get a jump on the day. And this is just one example. Example, right. Another example would be all the parents. And I have my po- podcast on picky eating, a controversial approach. Um, so these parents that want to make the kid never have a bad emotion because they're terrified of how bad they will feel when their kid is upset and they don't think about it like that, but they're very anxious about how they will feel if their child is distressed. So then they never give their child something that their child wouldn't like or if they do, that can never be one of the only offers. There has to be the chicken fingers that's the only thing that the kid eats and then maybe a little bit they'll offer something else and they'll take it away pretty quick if the kid doesn't want it because they don't want the kid to get upset this terror of the child being upset the same thing with like over like um over uh, like warning the child about like every upcoming thing that's happening which of course makes a child more anxious but this whole like Well, in two weeks, buddy, we're going to go to the pediatrician. Now here's 15 books on pediatricians. And some kids get very scared of the pediatrician. But I know that I'll be right there to protect you. I mean, holy shit, I'm developing an an anxiety disorder just thinking about the way that a lot of people talk. Of course the kid's going to be fucking scared. You told him to be scared. He's a smart kid. You're literally telling him to be scared. But when you can't admit that you're anxious, then you tell yourself that this is just you being a good parent, getting a jump on things, making sure that nothing happens. Nothing was going to happen, you know? <laughs> like, going to the doctors, like, a pretty normal thing. People do it. But if you make a whole thing out of it without knowing that you're anxious. Now, what? what's the point of this podcast? Is if you recognize that you're anxious, then you could be like, hmm, maybe that thing where I get all those, you know, books and over-preparation and warnings and all this shit about stuff that's coming up. Maybe that's an anxiety thing. And if it was an anxiety thing, then it's actually making the kid anxious. So maybe that's not a being a good mom thing, even though, of course, I did have good intentions, but it's an anxious thing. Maybe I should go investigate with a therapist which of my other beliefs and behaviors are anxious. Maybe my kid has stomach aches because I'm so anxious all the time. Maybe my husband may be a total asshole, but maybe even an asshole, even a stopped asshole is right twice a day (laughs) or clock. But, you know, and maybe I've never seen a situation where a guy said his wife was anxious and he didn't have a point. I mean, really, just like I never seen a a situation where the guy woman says her husband is an asshole and she doesn't have a point. You know, people pick up on things pretty good in their marriage. And, you know, I'm sure he had a lot of things he could complain about. But if he picked anxious and rigid, I mean, it's got to be something in reality. You know, life is not filled with, uh, you know, Lifetime movies where people are trying to gaslight each other. We're not in the Hitchcock film. If he said that he thinks you're anxious. Maybe he has a point. Maybe you should get evaluated. Maybe if you did, then he will go to a therapist and work on being an asshole, which I'm sure you have a point about. Another reason by the way in the marital realm that some women don't think that they're anxious is because they're married to somebody with ADHD and or who's like a classic underfunctioner, but this is a codependency thing. You came in from the beginning, from when you were dating. You came in, and you dealt with all his shit, and you made him doctor's appointments, and you made him food, and he never had to buy clothes anymore, and you, you know, you found your reason, you know, to the, for, for living in organizing all of his shit because you're an anxious person, and that's so easy for you to do all that stuff, but, you know, that got him into being extremely dependent, like feeding the birds in the bird feeder, and then stopping feeding them. They're going to die, Right. So the point is that then this codependent model goes on for years and years. And then you say, well, of course, I have to be anxious because my husband doesn't do anything. Well, he, you know, like, why doesn't he do any doing anything? Possibly because you're anxious. It's very, very rare. I mean, beyond rare for like a guy to divorce his wife and the same guy who couldn't do anything somehow has a home, you know, they eat when they have the kids there, the kids eat, everybody's alive. You know, does it look as nice as the woman's house? Is it as neat and clean? Probably not. But is everybody okay? Yes. You know, so there's a codependent thing where an anxious woman partners with a guy with ADHD, or who's just trained to be an underfunctioner, like his mom did everything. And then he went to you and now you do everything. And so he never learned to do anything. So you know that model can make a woman think that she quote has to be anxious. Nobody has to be anxious though. And frequently, when these women uh, realize that their anxiety is hurting their kids, and then they get treated for it, then the man does step up and do more stuff, and/or the marriage ends. You know, which it should have been before, because there was a fuckload of uh, conflict and fighting and all sorts of crazy shit about the fact that this, they were overfunctioning slash underfunctioning. So, you know, when you're thinking about whether you're anxious, think about whether you've ever gotten feedback that you're anxious and if maybe, you know, that's correct. People become superstitious really about their anxiety. Like they don't remember the bad things that come with the anxiety. They only remember the good ones. So if the mother wakes up every day, two hours ahead of the kid, right? And one day when she jolts awake, you know, she remembers that there's a, a form due. So she goes through the backpack, and ha, she found it. It's crumpled up at the bottom of the backpack. And then she filled it out, and then she got it in. And it was even due that day, right? So that type of shit, she's going to remember as like, oh, yeah, my anxiety, it's good for me. It makes me a better mother. But in reality, who gives a shit? They would have eventually contacted you about the form. So many people didn't have the form. Also, what about all those hours of your life where you were awake doing nothing, you know, like just rearranging your calendar and shit, you know, because you're anxious. So you don't remember those times, you remember the victories, because they go in with how you like to think about the world. It's confirmation bias, which is a natural human thing. If something confirms the way you view the world, then you remember it more readily, obviously, you know, and it, in in fact, there's even just very briefly, there's like a special category of anxious parents. And those are the ones whose kids have something wrong, like a medical issue or special needs or in some way, um, mental, emotional, medical, whatever. And so these parents frequently, they caught something, right? Like they caught an issue. So like the kid was dyslexic and nobody caught it until they sat down to read with the kid, which they wouldn't have done in their mind if they weren't so anxious, which they're saying is like a cute thing, like like, naming a puppy, anxious. Here, come here, anxious. You're so cute, you know, but... Anxious isn't really that cute when anxious turns into a big fucking dog, right? And anxious, like, eating through your whole house, which I'll just stop with the metaphor, but you get my point. So anyway, they want to think that the anxiety is protective and helps the child and and that it's, like, this good kind of anxiety that's adaptive evolutionarily and all of this stuff. But yeah, they caught the dyslexia. Two weeks later, somebody else might have caught the dyslexia. The kid might have also said, hey, I can't read, you know, <laughs> like anything could have happened there. And why, and, and also you can be a uh, responsive, attentive parent um, and be present with your child without being, without being anxious. And the irony that is a real mindfuck for a lot of people who discuss this anxiety with me in session is frequently everybody will say this I mean because people really do want to change and grow you know even if it's difficult even if it's not flattering eventually when presented with enough evidence that the way that they're viewing things may be hurting the kids then particularly a lot of parents you know will that that that's a thing like people in general to sabotage themselves all right fine but if you're hurting your kids then you know that's worse much worse So eventually we talk about how the anxiety stops them from being present with their kids. The actual thing that they think is the redeeming feature of the anxiety such that it makes you be even more present and more attentive In fact, how many times are you cleaning and sterilizing shit and not listening really to your kid's day? How much are you actually not there when your kid is talking mentally because you're thinking about all the shit that you have to do and getting so stressed out about it? How much are you snapping or yelling at your kid because your anxiety makes you wound so tight? You know, so in fact, maybe who knows what you're not catching. Maybe if you weren't anxious, you'd be catching even more stuff that's wrong with the kid. Who the fuck knows? But what anxiety does not do is it doesn't make you more present, makes you less present because you're overwhelmed, you're in your head, you're also exhausted, and you also don't feel good. Not to mention, of course, as but we will, that it erodes the closeness in your marriage. So then it limits your child's ability to have a successful romantic relationship as a template for their own life. Because the one thing that is the worst to deal with for men, besides not having sex, and believe me, there's a big overlap between anxiety and not having sex, is anxiety. As I discussed in why men um, initiate divorce, it's much less than women do. But the reasons I see them do initiate divorce are anxiety and sexlessness, right? And those two have a huge overlap because remember... I just read to you the generalized anxiety disorder symptoms. Well, if you feel like shit all the time and you're in fight or flight, guess what? It's not fight, flight or fuck. You know, like you can't because you're so, so stressed out. If you feel like a tiger's going to attack you because you didn't like clean out your kid's lunch bag good enough and, you know, they're going to get germs from something. And then what about the fact that their friend got mad at them and you have to figure out how to like help them? And you're looking on Amazon for books to coach them through their like completely developmentally normal friend. Drama. How are you going to be having sex? How are you even going to be having a date night? How are you even going to be having a conversation with your husband that isn't about this topic? You know, this obsessional topic. So, so, yeah, so it limits the ability to connect. And most men don't even divorce the wife who's anxious for that reason. They do it because they don't want their child's life to be so constricted. And they perceive that if they were in a separate household, at least some of the time, the child would be exposed to a more relaxed and spontaneous way of living. And that's always very important, more important to men who are less anxious generally than to women, to to see the world as, as a place that's exciting, filled with adventure, and not always like danger, germs, bad people etc. Anyway, I hope that this podcast resonated with some of you. I hope at least one person realizes that they're anxious now. If you're listening and you realize that your wife is anxious, is this a good one to give to her? I mean, it's not the worst one to give to her. As I told you already, though, people don't like to get my podcast. Don't Do it, you know, like don't bombard people with with a podcast, like literally just come and say, I was listening to this podcast or I was reading and, you know, it made me think that like a lot of the stuff that's going on in our house that's so stressful, I think that it could be related to your anxiety and then come in with something you do wrong. I also do not engage with the kids, maybe as much as I should, as you've pointed out before, I can be on my phone a lot, you know, and I really think I'm kind of, you know, uh, difficult to talk to you're really good at empathizing with the kids. The thing is, though, is I'm starting to think that maybe there's more going on. There's like actual anxiety. You know you don't feel well a lot you're exhausted a lot you're up so much like early and in the middle of the night and you know you're a great mom but I really do think there's some anxiety here you know I think that we should maybe go to couples counseling because that would help me better learn how to be empathic to you and to the kids maybe we could work on some parenting stuff or something and also we can mention this thing about you being anxious you know And the the couples counseling is always what you should lead with if your partner will not go to regular counseling for an individual. As I've pointed out in multiple podcasts on how to get your partner to go to couples counseling. Um, And I have posts on how to get your partner to go to therapy. And I say couples counseling because then you're saying that you're part of the problem, too. You know what? You're always part of the problem, too. Like nobody's perfect at all. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this and do subscribe and I'll talk to you all soon. Have a great day.